0: Discover over 100 episodes of Bartholomew Town on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is
1: the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I think in general, there's more of an interest to learn about the state's indigenous history. uh, Because what I like to say is it's part of Rhode Island's history. It's not something separated and apart. It was the beginning. In my opinion... And it's not that they're totally to blame, but I'm looking at it from a professionalism standpoint and the fact that people get paychecks. So my first attention is to the teachers and admin, uh, because I'm saying to myself, you know, as a professional in a profession, I don't see any other profession where you can be unsuccessful for 25 years and then give excuses why there's no success, uh, keep getting training. You know, I'm just imagining if my mechanic kept messing up my engine.
0: Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, my conversation with activist and educator, Ray Two Hawks Watson. I had really been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Two Hawks and I had a a really interesting, if not uh, overly brief and hyper-focused on issues conversation during Bartholomew Town Live at PVD Fest a couple of, I guess that was like almost two months ago. Wait a minute, it was over two months ago. Anyway, it uh, it was awesome to uh, finally sit down and take a deep dive into indigenous history, Rhode Island history, something I've been thinking and speaking about quite a bit. The timeline, kind of understanding where our origins came from here in Rhode Island, that it certainly dates uh, well before Roger Williams and what cheer Samuel Gorton and Hutchinson and, and all that business. So a great sit down. With a great man, Raymond Two Hawks Watson, coming your way in a matter of seconds. Support for the Bartholomew Town podcast comes from M. Duran Studio, Providence's finest choice for commercial photography. From headshots and portraits to high-quality candidates, check out their extensive portfolio at mduranstudio.com. Give them a call today at 401-400-2328 or message book at Studio.com com always great to hear from you the listeners my email is bill at ripodcast.com and you may follow me on twitter at bill bartholomew all right let's get to my conversation with raymond two hawks watson how's it going brother? excellent brother how are you doing i'm
1: doing well happy to be here
0: so we had a chance to we did a, a short interview at pvd fest on stage um so some people may have heard that but it was sort of it's really hyper-issue-oriented, so let's, yeah. let's kind of go into your backstory sure. and sort of set that up before we dig into uh, Providence today, the state today, Absolutely. travel relations today. Sure. Um, I guess kind of give, give your story and, and in terms of your activism work, in terms of your relationship with the tribe, and, sure. and, and the whole deal.
1: Okay. So, uh, born and raised right here in this lovely city of Providence, Rhode Island. Um, family's generational Uh, to the city. Um, When my family moved off of the Narragansett Indian tribe reservation in the late 1800s, they moved right to the Mount Hope community. Um, And that's where I grew up, between there and uh, Fox Point. Uh, Went through public school. I was in Nathaniel Green. I was in the the gifted program. Um, You know what made it through, like scraping my teeth. Um, uh, Really surprised myself. I I got into classical, um, but high school wasn't really my forte. I almost got class clown. Um, I almost got into a fight with the person who was trying to give it to me because I told him, I'm not bringing that home to my grandmother. There's no way on earth. Yeah. Um, but got second to uh, last in my in my class as well. So um, just had it in my mind at the time that I wasn't really good at school and I was just kind of doing it because I was supposed to do it. Yep. Um, of course, my grandmother who raised me wasn't having that. So she ended up sticking me for an extra year in Northfield, Mount Hermon, uh, which is a prep school in Massachusetts. And that was where I kind of figured, first of all, that I might be okay at this school stuff. And that's where I kind of got my voice to kind of speak out about issues that I found important. Um, from there, I went to Union College in Schenectady, New York. Had a pretty solid uh, undergraduate career there. Ended up pledging a fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, uh, Fraternity Incorporated, which was the first uh, black Greek letter uh Collegiate fraternity in history, Um, so that was really cool. Uh, Brothers like Martin Luther King, Thurgood Marshall. Um, But my particular chapter um, had individuals there who were very, very adamant about the fact that no matter how good I did, it wasn't good enough. Uh, So that was another layer that kind of added on to me just really wanting to go out and have an impact Um, But not just any impact, like a really serious impact, because uh, I had these guys on my back, and whatever I was doing, I knew they were going to have an earful for me. So after uh, graduating there, I came back here, worked for the Urban League of Rhode Island for about six months, got laid off from there, and decided to go back to grad school. Uh, Went to URI, and in 2005, graduated with a master's in community planning, concentrating in housing and community development, and I actually did my... um, thesis work on uh, gentrification and its impact on the Fox Point neighborhood. So coming out of that, um, I ended up working for about a year. I had a life skills program at the Rhode Island Indian Council. Um, Fantastic woman by the name of Susan, who was running uh, an organization there, hired me. Um, And that was cool because I was engaging with like 19 to 21-year-olds who had dropped out out of high school. Um, But kind of just educating them and informing them that, you know, there's still options out. Um, And I still see some of those kids today. So Um, after that, I ended up having the opportunity to become the executive director of the Mount Hope Neighborhood Association, which is right back on the east side where I was from. Um, And I ran that for about nine and a half years. And that's really where I got heavily involved in the activism, Um, mainly because. Um, I saw that it kind of went hand in hand with the social service work I was doing. You know, it's cool to like kind of give people food and clothes and all that, but then when you see them coming back week after week after week, it's kind of like, okay, is this all I'm doing here? Like, Am I, am I actually having an impact or am I just... Um, so that sort of mindset led me to connecting with a fantastic org called Direct Action for Rights and Equality. Um, They're the ones I really cut my teeth in terms of activism and engagement, Um, ended up linking up uh, through them with PRISM and all of the other groups that do activism. Um, And that was kind of really where uh, I became the activist, I guess. Um, While I was at Mount Hope right after I got the job um, in 2006, my grandmother passed away. Um, and that was kind of like my heart. She raised me. You know, my mother my, my mother and I have a good relationship, but my mother had me when she was about 17 or 18, and she was going off to school. So my grandmother ended up taking me. Um, and it was at that point that I kind of reflected upon a lot of the conversations we had. And one of the main things that she had wanted me to do was to get more involved with the tribe um, and learn more about and be more actively engaged with my cultural heritage. I grew up here in Providence. You know, I was basketball and girls and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, so that combination of activism and more involvement with the tribe, I guess, kind of led me to where I'm at today because I saw a real opportunity, uh, to meld the two. Uh, but then also because the tribe is so cultural, um, and I ended up getting involved with the drum group, the Eastern Medicine Singers, I was able to add that element on top. So it was really weird because I'd be like at a politician's office with like 50 or 60 people protesting, but I'd have a drum so when they'd see me after, like, they would never really be mad. They'd, like, want to know about the drum. And so it was just, like, really weird for me. Um, but I was running with it. Yeah, you know, right. but I was running with it because I was like, yep. okay, well, you know. Um, and that combination has allowed me to kind of operate in a space where I can always be authentic and always be a voice. But the individuals that I'm usually, if I'm at that point with them, they never really seem to take it personal. And I never try to make it personal with them. I'll see them around after and be like, hey, look nothing to I don't really know you individually it's just this situation that's going on and you were you were the target at the time so you know um but it's nothing personal and I've always been fortunate enough to have them at least when they communicate with me to never kind of take it personally um so then growing out of that I realized that I can't always just run around banging a drum and yelling at people um but definitely do it if it if it needs to be right it's an option there you go and no. as long as I found that as long as individuals know it's an option they kind of walk a a pretty solid line, and and that's cool in terms of the work that I try to do. So
0: that's spectacular. Yeah, let's get into Providence today. Sure. You know, the everyone's gonna the first thing that's gonna come up now is the schools. Oh uh, yeah, I mean that's nothing new. I mean no. that's that's been here. I grew up in Charlestown, went to Charo. You know, you go in, and and I should say sports, whatever mm. it is. I've had you know, spent a lot of time in Elmwood as a kid mm. as well. My family has has some roots here, so. Yeah, this is not anything new. I mean, it's just been a systemic, basically systemic racism, and in, 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 in practical terms. Uh, so now that the the rug has been pulled out, mm-hmm. so to speak, from underneath, and he's not cover up, yeah. but just just people apathy. apathy yeah, um, in your from your perspective let's let's look at what needs to be done because sure. it's way more than just cleaning up rats.
1: Absolutely. It, it's more than that. Um, in my opinion, and it's not that they're totally to blame, but I'm looking at it from a professionalism standpoint and the fact that people get paychecks. So my first attention is to the teachers and admin uh, because I'm saying to myself, you know, as a professional in a profession, I don't see any other profession where you can be unsuccessful for 25 years and then give excuses why there's no success, uh, keep getting training. You know, I'm just imagining if my mechanic kept messing up my engine, would I stay with my mechanic for 25 years? Uh, I'm thinking if I had a financial advisor and I just kept losing money, do I keep working with that? You know, so from a professional standpoint, it, it, it really doesn't make much sense to me. Um, the other side to that as well is that I know some fantastic teachers. Um, I am an adjunct professor right now at Roger Williams University, so that's afforded me the opportunity to be engaged with actually instructing students from the Providence Public School System in nonprofit management and issues around gentrification. And the students that I deal with very well received with the information that I give, never disrespectful and successful. We actually had a group of them out of Juanita Sanchez start a nonprofit called JSEC Goods to assist students from the school who didn't have food on the weekends. You know, they get the food at school, but on the weekends, there's nothing to eat. So they start collecting from other students in the school to be able to help them out. So I'm saying, so wait a minute, hold on a second. These kids right here that are starting this nonprofit out of a collegiate-level course that I'm teaching are the same ones you're telling me don't have any interest in their education. Don't. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah,
0: that's, that's a that's total nonsense. That's yeah. a lie that's being told Time and time again, it's 100% not true. I can, mm-hmm. You know, just being in this building alone, our, the building we're in right now, mm-hmm. we interact with enough kids in the Providence mm-hmm. school system, have enough conversations to know that the idea that these are, as some yeah. people suggested, dumb or yeah, like, yeah, that is just absolute nonsense. And I'll you know? share,
1: you know, to your point, I was one of those kids in the Providence public school system 25 years ago when the first report came out. The one that was the predecessor to the John Hopkins. And I'll tell you, the reason why I didn't do good in high school was because in middle school, mind you, I'm in the gifted program. Um, There was a paper that was due. So my grandmother helped me a little bit, but I stayed up, you know, at the time, like 11 or 12. So I stayed up really late, like 1130, writing this paper, put my heart into it because I really wanted to do good on it ended up handing in and had the teacher accuse me of plagiarism because she didn't think that I was good enough to write the paper and then reported me to the principal. So my grandmother went up there and, you know, made a fuss, but in my mind, the only reason they backed up off of me was because my grandmother made a fuss. I actually wasn't smart. So I carried that with me into high school. Uh, so when I hear that sort of conversation, especially about the students, I'm like, well, wh- hold on a second. I was one of those students. You'd be talking about me right now. Um, and if that was the way that everyone treated me and if I didn't have my grandmother to advocate for me, where would I be today? I'd have a very, very different life right now if, um, if I didn't have certain people in my corner just based upon the experience. So when we're talking to problems, public school system, I believe it has to start with the teachers and admin. Once you address that, um, and once again, it's not that it's all teachers. There's some really solid teachers. I made it through high school and in prep school because I had teachers who were like, no, you're not stupid. You're just not living up to your potential. Uh, But if we can't get rid of the, the fat, you know, if we can't get rid of the ones who are apathetic, who have been there too long, who don't care, who think the students are stupid... How can you expect the good teachers to excel? And how can you expect the students to pay attention to the good teachers when they've got a bunch of others who aren't? So my opinion, it starts with the teachers and admin. And then once you're there, um, then you get to community engagement. Then you get to other opportunities um, because they're all important. And I've heard people, it takes a village Well, absolutely. But I'm unaware of any village where when you don't cut your slack, the rest of the village has to pick up for you. And then you can blame the rest of the village for not... I just don't agree with that. So when we're talking Providence schools, no, it's not anything new. Um, And in my opinion, it needs to start with the teachers and admin before we get to the rest of it.
0: Fascinating take. It really is, you know, because right now there's so much on the cleanup. You know, let's go and clean up the schools, the physical side of the infrastructure. I mean, you know, you can travel to other countries, other places and see kids being taught in huts. You know, in, in essentially, you know, playing soccer with absolutely no facilities whatsoever, just a ball. And then those kids are going on to do major work in the mm-hmm. world. You know absolutely. what I mean? There's no question about so it. So
1: what are we saying about our society in general here where, well, they can't learn because the build is not clean. And that's definitely part of it. I'm not knocking that. But the kids will learn if you motivate them and if they see a purpose to it and, and a goal beyond just I need to go here because you told me to. Um, and if we're just going to treat students like you have to do what we said because we said so, <laughs> I, I don't know how well that works with anyone. It doesn't work well with me at all, and I'm, you know, in my adult stage, it does not work well with me at all. So as a teenager, nah, not a chance at all. Not, not a chance. chance. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: just a lost cause if you have that mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the tribe. Let's talk sure. about, um, you know, that that's a, it's an interesting uh, conversation in Rhode Island historical yes. terms. Obviously, there's yes. a very specific relationship between white colonizers yes and, uh tribes uh, plural in rhode island yes uh in its origins yes you know that's that's never really changed you know over the years as far mm-hmm. as that the, you know there are exceptions of course you think of the state police raid on the smoke shop yes. an ugly mm-hmm. uh day in rhode island mm-hmm. history no question about it mm-hmm. but and and of course You know, the King Philip's War took the the, the burning, you know, where the monument is that. But that didn't include Rhode Island. That was other colonies. So it's just this fascinating relationship Mm -hmm. uh, going back to, of course, the what cheer conversation. Yeah, Where are we today and where do you fit into that yourself?
1: Sure. So I think where we're at today is um, I think in general, there's more of an interest to learn about the state's indigenous history. uh, Because what I like to say is it's part of Rhode Island's history. It's not something separate and apart. It was the beginning. Um, further than that, it's part of the world's history. You know, um, when you look at the things that Roger Williams is kind of lauded for, like freedom of speech and freedom of religion, he literally learned that from my people. He, You know, he was going through troubles en masse. They kicked him out. They were chasing him. He came over here and he finds a bunch of people who everyone else were calling savages that are conducting themselves in a respectful manner to each other, that allow others to believe what they want. Don't back down from what they believe, but, you know, you can believe what you want. And everyone has the right to an opinion. So these were novel ideas from the society that he was dealing with, and then he just taken, applied them, and lo and behold, we have, you know, the U.S. today. So I think in general, especially because of the Internet, um, because I think people are, realizing that, wow, there are Indians right around them every single day, you know, and um, we're not necessarily in our wigwams or we twos We live in houses. We drive cars, you know. I think that it's just becoming more of a reality to people. And, of course, you know, when something's a reality, you want to learn more about it. Um, in particular, my tribe is the Mashapog tribe. And I get a lot of interest from people because most people, when they think about Indians of Rhode Island, immediately they go down to the Narragansett Indian tribe. And, um, you know, my family was a part of that. Um... My family were one of the main families that were down on the reservation. My fourth great-grandfather, Brister Michael, was one of the chiefs at the time in 1881 when the state illegally detribalized them. He was the last chief to hold out, actually, on uh, signing away the lands. And then my great-grandfather, George Red Fox Watson, was chief of the tribe in 83 when they got federal recognition. So my ties go way back with that tribe. But that was not where the majority of Narragansett, in particular were. That's more Niantic territory down there. And if you know, after the King Philip's War... Um, especially the Great Swamp Massacre, uh, a bunch of Narragansetts moved down into Niantic Territory because of distant cousins anyway, and then collectively they started to be called the Narragansetts. Um, most of the Narragansetts were north of that, talking Coventry and into the Providence area, and not a lot of people know that. Um Shoah Met, which was one of the main villages which was right in Coventry, um, the main chief there was Pumham, had over a 1,000 people there. I'm willing to bet more, but, you know, the colonial records say about a 1,000. Of course, they, you know. So I'm going to say much more than that. Um, and then when you look at my tribe in particular, when you look at the original boundaries that were given for the settlement of Providence, it was to the Great Hill at Newtoconconet, Newtoconconet Hill, uh, to the Falls in Patuxent, so that's where Patuxent Village comes from in Cranston, and then it was to the oak outside of the town of Meshipog. So now I'm saying to myself, okay, So they're just settling in the area, but they're calling this village a town. There has to be a bunch of Indians there, just, you know. And at the time, the pond itself was a lot bigger than it is right now. Um, It was fresh water, so you could fish and everything right there. So you had everything you needed, so of course there would be lots of Indians living around it. Um, So that's all part of this city in particular, but the state's history. And I think that people are just realizing in general, you know, okay, a lot of our history, not only has it not been told to us, But it's been mistold to us, and there are a whole group of people that are literally still here that we were told either were extinct, uh, were were African Americans or Negroes, and what do those terms actually mean, or just didn't even think about it um, because I wasn't even thinking about the fact that there's a lot of indigenous history here. So right now, I think that the state is in a good uh, place to actually want to engage more with its indigenous history. Um, And that's kind of one of the things that I personally have taken on um, as a charge, to not do so much of the yelling and screaming at people, though once again there's a time and a place for it, but to try to provide space for people to engage with, learn, and then eventually support, uh, because this is important. It's important that we understand that there were things that were taking place here before Rhode Island got started, which means that things don't always have to be the way that they are. You know, here in Rhode Island, we just get stuck in that. This is the way it is. Um, This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been. You know, I don't really want to do that. I mean, things need to change, but they're not going to start with me. And all of that mindset, I think um, having conversations and dialogue around the state's indigenous history forces people out of that mental box that they're in and kind of gets them to look at things from a different perspective, which I think is a very important thing at this day and age. Yeah, we need a Howard Zinn People's History of the U.S. Mm-hmm.
0: for Rhode Island, yes. you know, recently a, a, a few friends of mine, we were hanging out in Newport and uh, looking at, I'm always fascinated by that tower there, you yes. know, that it's a solarium yes. and who built it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I started to question, this is going to sound, this is really a reckless statement, mm-hmm. but I started to question the timeline of history uh, on on a very – on the basic level, the dates and the notion of where ideas came mm-hmm. from and who came up with basic ideas, mm-hmm. you're summarizing that in a way that, that I wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. But it's exactly that, that these mm-hmm. are borrowed ideas that were already here in Rhode Island, that the historical records that we have are almost certainly inaccurate in mm-hmm. terms of that the, – the, the population count and the credibility given to the society that was here, that yes. was – was essentially eradicated at at, at many levels so that it's such an important discussion to have Mm -hmm. in Rhode Island history I mean I have Rhode Island history books here that I I refer to and nowhere does it start in you know time unknown Which it's okay to say we don't really know when this started but it's old and it's way older than you give it credit for if you think this is like our current ideas come from 1636. Yes.
1: And, and what I think what's really interesting, so recently um, I've had the chance to visit Europe a couple times. Um, You know, just being a Rhode Islander, you know, I, first of all, I never thought I'd be leaving the New England region too much, you know. So in the past... <laughs> By nature, it's yeah, in our blood you know, here. Not, yeah. we, can't, we can't go that far. Connecticut's That's really far. a major deal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going over to Europe, uh, one of the first things that really amazed me was that everyone I spoke to over there, when I told them I was an American Indian... I didn't get the typical sort of, well, you don't look like an Indian sort of stuff that's so prevalent here. Immediately, it was like, oh, wow. And then a, 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 a interest in wanting to know more. So I'm like, okay, so this narrative we have here from our indigenous history is something that's, that's valuable on an international level. Um, then I started to like, you know, it really hit me when I went to London and we're riding around London and I'm like, Oh, okay, this is where Boston kind of got their architectural design from. And, oh, okay, this is where they were doing all of this stuff in downtown Providence, And then it clicks. I'm like, so, you know, we're constantly trying to attract Europeans to Rhode Island. But to see what? A, 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 a Like a worse copy of what they already have over there? Like, I'm not... I wouldn't travel to see New England if I'm from England. I like... Why would I do that, you know? And then the history starts in the 1600s, like you said. And for England, that's relatively new. right? Um, so as I'm over there and I'm sharing, and of course, you know, uh, we're traveling with Jonathan Gad and doing a really sort of innovative, collaborative musical performance. Um, I'm just like, wow. Like, we've literally had, when we performed at PVD Fest, people say, oh, I flew in because I had to see you guys perform. So I'm like, oh, there we go. There's There's the tourism attraction right there the state's specific narrative tied to its indigenous history, which no one else in the world has but Rhode Island. That is Rhode Island's specific story if it embraces it, if it stops being afraid of it, if it's not afraid to say, hey, look, a lot of the ideas that the state were founded upon came from the people that were here before who, for all intents and purposes, should really be considered the original Rhode Islanders. And Rhode Island can tell that story because it melds right into... Because you can say, well, Roger Williams was the first one to actually respect these people for what they were thinking and doing. And that's what makes Rhode Island great. We embraced. We didn't shun. We didn't we didn't say, oh, those are savages. We embraced and built upon it. And that's what humanity's all about. That's literally what humanity's all about. Taking the lessons from before and building upon them. So it's what we
0: need to do today Mm -hmm. and on a global scale and certainly on a national level Mm -hmm. here uh certainly in the western hemisphere Mm -hmm. or in the western world Mm -hmm. that as this right-wing populism Mm -hmm. you know we've we England we see it we have it in Brazil obviously Mm -hmm. here we see it it's it's what we have to refer to as far as the basis for when's the last time that In the in the Western Hemisphere, anyway, Mm -hmm. there was some sort of harmonious society, and it's never perfect. You can Mm -hmm. I'm sure of that, but really, that's an example that is just whitewashed as best as it can be. And the idea that the benevolence should be put upon Williams—that hey, you know, yeah, here's a guy who made good for him. He decided not to slaughter, (laughs) you know, these the the people that he encountered. Let's let's (laughs) praise him. It's that you know it really is. just constantly misrepresented, mm-hmm. and I don't know it's so basic too. It seems like at this point in in world history in society, you know you would think that most people get that what they've been taught as far as the historical record, the timeline mm-hmm. of of major events um not the date necessarily, yep. but who came up with it, where the energy yep. for the idea came from yep. you know that the the origins of those ideas are so old that yes. You know, don't give yourself that much credit.
1: Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think humans in general, that's an issue. I mean, let's take contemporarily, right? Everyone knows that there's GMO foods. Everyone knows that you should eat healthier, right? But how many people actually apply that on a regular basis? So there's a difference between the knowing and then the actual embracing and incorporating it as part of our spirit. So I would agree with you. I think a lot of people do know. But then it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I know. But, you know, what what are you going to do about it, you know? I got to go to work, you know, my wife's upset at me, uh, the kids need, so yeah, that, that's great, it'd be great if someone shared that, but it's not something I'm necessarily going to try to pursue on a regular basis, because it's not necessarily a part of my own individual sort of everyday routine of what I'm going through, so I kind of chalk that up to uh, just humanity in general, uh, but then of course, it's not necessarily acceptable, and it's not necessarily beneficial. So that's where the hard work comes in on kind of getting people, once again, to come up out of that box of thinking and to and to think about the fact that, hey, it doesn't have to be the way it is right now. It wasn't. There was some change that went on. And if we literally look at the history of Rhode Island, right, we've always been the change agents. Um, you look at what we could start with Roger Williams and then let's go to the uh, to the independence. We do Gatsby days. We're not just going to talk about how we don't like the British. We're going to go and attack their ship and take the captain. Um, Let's talk about the Declaration of Independence. I think uh, they had to actually go and drag the Rhode Island rep out of the bar. He was drinking. You know, so Rhode Island, you know, uh, Industrial Revolution. Rhode Island just has this history of kind of being the different ones, which means that they were always doing something different, which means that our mentality today that the way it is is the way it has to be isn't even necessarily Rhode Island. So where do we get it from and why are we holding on to it? Yeah, that's like a I, you know what it is too. I
0: think that it is an older population here than mm. and and I think that's a big factor in it, but it's young kids too. Mm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times when I go to New York, which I do, you know, a couple times a month whatever, mm. there are people who are absolutely shocked that I would drive there, do something and drive back in the same mm. day. Like they can't get over mm. it that it's it's this mind-blowing <laughs> exercise that to leave the state if you're not going to like Foxwoods or Foxborough is this like major ordeal it's a real thing it's a, it's a mm-hmm. condition that we have here yes. it's it's why we have these you know five different fire departments in Cumberland because there's people don't leave their village people Absolutely. live on Diamond Hill that's where they're their life plays out. That's everywhere, but in Rhode Island, it. but that's a new phenomenon. That's like mm. a post-World War II yes. version of Rhode Island. we got to yes. refer back to the original one, which yes. I'll say it again. Who knows when it started? Definitely mm. not 1636. Mm. Those ideas are way older. Absolutely. Get out of here. Absolutely. Forget about it. Um, last couple of minutes here, let's just kind of zoom back into um, in, into Rhode Island, contemporary Rhode Island. Sure. Um, you know, this is, uh, I like I said, I had... Family in Elmwood mm-hmm. that since I've been in this neighborhood in, in one way or another, holidays, mm-hmm. staying here for for a long time since I can remember, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but this is the first time in the last year and a half that I've been here that I've actually lived t- in this neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in South Providence. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived in neighborhoods in other cities mm-hmm. that would be classified as poor or whatever, mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something about South Providence that's really specific. Mm -hmm. There's challenges, of course, with police-community relations. Mm -hmm. There's challenges, of course, with the schools and how Mm -hmm. that plays in. But um, no one's ever... I've never had... I literally have never had, you know... A problem of any kind here, mm-hmm. as as a white kid, yep. you know, uh, maybe because I'm not, and you know, I'm, I feel like I, I know the area, so that's yeah. else might cause. But that's a, that's. A, let's be real. Uh, what's going on in 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 South Providence on the ground? Um, is there is the media, is mass media making this region uh, into something? Much more than it's than it's not and and are people talking about the systemic problems like national grid and asthma rates mm-hmm. and things like that anywhere near enough you know why and why is it a neighborhood that is if it's so crime ridden and mm-hmm. so poor then you know why aren't people's cars getting broken into all the time
1: out mm-hmm. here uh, so you know? one of the things, and this is why I started my company, Providence Cultural Equity Initiative there's so much diversity that goes on just in this little city of Providence, right? That it's not uncommon for the Dominican kids over across the street of Elmwood to see some white individuals walking through the neighborhood. Uh, What I've always found in Providence is that for the most part, if you mind your business and are respectful, you don't get messed with. Um, So, you know, if you're over here and you're just doing your thing and you're not, you know, walking, looking over your shoulder, people really aren't going to bother you. You know, someone else in the neighborhood and that's fine. Um, I think what the real issue comes in is just the stereotypes and the fears that people have with engaging with people that aren't like them when you don't live in a diverse area. So if I'm living in Barrington and and, and all I see in the six o'clock news is a shooting, a shooting, a shooting, a robbing, a stabbing, I don't want anything to do with those people there. You know, um, I'm in and i out you know, and I don't even want to engage. Um, And then, of course, if I do see something, because it's an urban environment and you're going to see something, I mean, that's what happens in urban environments. Um, It just reinforces in my mind what I was already thinking, which leads to that's a really bad place to go. Now, of course, we know media feeds upon what they believe the populace wants to see and hear. At least that's what I got told when I asked, how come at Mount Hope, when we're doing really good stuff, I have to call and beg you to come but as soon as something happens, you guys are here like that. I don't have to call. As a matter of fact, you guys do sometimes hear about it before I do. And the response I got was, well, you know, this sort of stuff is what sells. So I think it's a combination of those sorts of things um, that make Rhode Island's capital and in particular certain neighborhoods targets to be stereotyped as really bad places and really dangerous places. Um... But you know what? I traveled to Mexico City with my wife for the first time, and I felt safer riding around Mexico City in areas that were supposedly bad than I did riding through certain areas of the Bronx in New York. Um, so that was even a mind wipe for me, because I was like, okay, so I need to recheck what my idea of being dangerous is. Yep. Um, so I think it all comes down to, first of all, the spirit and nature of the person themselves, If you're afraid to be around people that are different than you, then you might be a target here on the South Side because people are going to pick up on that. Um, But if you're just a genuine and respectful person who's just like, hey, people are people and I'm not on a side block where I know that there's drug dealing and shooting going on and I'm not making myself a spectacle, you should come and enjoy the city. It's a beautiful city. You meet people from all over the world. You get great food on Broad Street and... I mean, this is what people literally travel to other countries and spend thousands of dollars to experience, but won't ride down Broad Street to have some authentic Dominican food. They'll go to the well they won't go to Dominican Republic anymore. They're afraid of the yeah, to, right. You know, absolutely. Um, Especially
0: with David Ortiz yeah, situation, know. yeah.
1: Um, but you can get that right here in Providence. Yep. Um, and we should be supporting and promoting the city like that.
0: What I will say to their credit, almost every person that is an, a state leader mm-hmm. uh, a city leader mm-hmm. that I've asked to come out to the loft here mm-hmm. has done so and and no one has ever made any remarks or anything like that very good so, you very know, good to, to their credit yeah like you know you I expect always to hear something like mm-hmm. oh man you must have'm
1: oh, so sorry oh, yeah, I'm, gonna... <laughs> I'm not going there man do you,
0: you know do you lock it you lock this place you got cameras or you know you're just waiting for it but it's to their credit it's it's it seems like um at least that's a check mark mm-hmm. in the right direction. Um, yeah, last real quick question: Where can people find out more about the work you're doing online?
1: Sure. Uh, so you know, I'm heavily alive on social media. So Facebook, uh, you can follow my personal page, Raymond Dell Watson. Uh, my company, Providence Cultural Equity Initiative. We got a really cool page called Living Culture RI on Facebook and on uh, IG where we just try to raise awareness about some of the cultural or non-traditional opportunities that are going on. So whether it be the Hip Hop Chess Club, whether it be the Jamaican uh, Independence Festival is coming up this weekend, the different powwows, just trying to make people aware of what makes Rhode Island and Providence in particular such a fantastic place, and that is its diversity. Um, and then you can also check the webpages, uh, provcei.org and livingcultureri.com. Um, I just try to be really active on social media because, you know, I was... I was one of the people who got on Facebook when it was just for college students. So I'm like over a decade in, you know, um, and I kind of got a solid handle on it um, and a good following. So that's where just I do most of my outreach, but also just around in the neighborhoods. If there's something cultural going on, I try to make it my business to show my face there or to support it if I can. And through the work that I did at Mount Hope and just combining all of those different elements, I built really strong relationships with so many different cultural communities, whether it be Southeast Asian, whether it be the myriad of Latino communities, the West African communities. So I just try to be out and about in the community. So, either on social media or somewhere in the community, you can definitely bump into me. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty uh, reasonable and friendly guy. So, feel free to say hello. And, of course, <laughs> follow us on social media and all that good stuff.
0: And you can say hello to Bartholomewtown on Instagram at Bartholomewtown Podcast. I'm also on there with my personal page at Bill Bartholomew. That's all the time we have for today. Appreciate you spending a portion of it with the Bartholomewtown Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.